Hey, welcome to Terminal Talk, episode 12. Today we have Pat Meany, who's a memory expert. He's the beginning of a set of heavy hitters. Heavy hitters. Heavy hitters that we have uh, coming up for you. We're definitely going to do some pretty deep technical stuff over the next few episodes. So if you've been waiting for uh, stuff that's, that's really, really deep stuff you can take back to the lab, this is uh, you're going to enjoy this a lot, I think. Yeah, we've got uh, a guy who does memory. We're going to do a couple of deep uh, system stuff over the next few weeks. I think you're going to find this really, really cool. And beyond that, Pat obviously really loves what he does, and his enthusiasm comes through when he talks. Yeah, I, I was uh, a little worried up front because he's a hardware guy, and you know those guys tend to be a little bit on the yeah, uh, bits and bytes, ones and zeros. Yeah, but uh, he was really, really enthusiastic. The real thing I was worried about was that we weren't going to get him to shut up. <laughs> I was not worried about that at all. <laughs> I mean, I have the stop button right in front of me. So <laughs> he was awesome, and it's it's a great example of shifting uh, what he talks about with with RAM technology. There's all this stuff happening behind the scenes that you have literally no idea about, but it's the stuff that keeps your systems up and ru- literally up and running instead of crashing. And it's just a great example of shifting all that complexity from something you'd have to worry about in the application side back into the system. It, yeah, and it was really cool that we were able to tie this back to uh, the episode we did with Brenton Belmar a few yep. weeks ago. So here we are, episode 12, Pat Meany, memory expert. Here comes another fresh episode of Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. All right, um, we're here with uh, Pat Meany, who is the STSM for Z Memory. Not nodding goes over really well on. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks for welcoming me here. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys. Most people don't say that. That's for sure. Welcome. Oh, you don't have a camera here? I thought he will. He'll take video? a picture. Oh yeah, he'll take okay. a picture. Uh, so we're here with Pat Meany, who is the STSM for Z Memory. So uh, f- first, why would anybody just get into memory? That seems like kind of a very niche thing to do. Why memory? Yeah, I was kind of wondering the same thing myself. <laughs> <laughs> I actually didn't start off in memory. I came to IBM. I don't need to give the year, do I? <laughs> okay. But I was working in the cache design, which is part of the microprocessor. It allows the microprocessor to run fairly fast. And while I was working on that, I got very interested in reliability in RAS. So it's reliability, availability, and serviceability. And I got to the point where I was on a RAS review board here locally. And while I was doing that, we were reviewing where we were on our system. This is several generations ago. And we found that our memory in the field, we weren't sure why, but our memory started to have issues. And so that's where we had a problem to solve. And I got pretty fascinated about how do we solve this problem. So as we were going through the other thing that happened is the person who was in charge of memory decided he wanted to leave the company for more for <laughs> personal reasons. I think uh, I don't know where he went, but one of the things that then drove was we had a big vacancy in both the mainline memory and also the reliability. And I didn't feel I could handle the the mainline part, so we actually did a co-lead on that, where someone who had some memory experience did that, but I took over on this um, reliability side. And that's where we put together something called RAIM memory, uh, which is being used in our systems today. RAIM being? Well, it stands for Redundant 
array of independent memory. Oh, independent. Independent. Okay. Some say <laughs> inexpensive. <but laughs> we'll see. <laughs> and it's based on the RAID-type technologies. It's a RAID 5-type design that that's, it's based on. But instead of applying it at the disk level, which is farther out in storage and has a lot of latency, and that's why they really don't have it involved in any of the processors or caches or uh, DRAM memory. But we've said, well, let's see if we can bring those concepts into the mainline memory without invoking a huge penalty in latency. So our goal was fix whatever the reliability issue is and do it in at par latency. So, and, and I'm sorry to keep asking, but mainline memory, the differentiation there being that it's what most people call memory? Yeah, it's when you put a, these on your, take your laptop and in the back you put in these memory cards. Yeah. They're called DIMMs. It's a similar technology. Okay. It's called DRAM. Okay. And you don't ask me what all those stand for. Okay. <laughs> it's dynamic RAM as opposed to flash or. Okay. Okay. That's what I was asking. Right. Is the RAM memory what makes Z memory different from other systems? Yeah, it's a significant improvement that we had. As I was kind of saying before, the reliability issue was that something would come up all of a sudden. There was no indication before. There were no correctable errors. A lot of times we have something called error correction codes, and that will correct some data that's out there on whatever your typically predicted DRAM failures. And when that comes back, it does error correction on it. However, we found that there were no early indicators. It was just a sudden failure. We're not sure if it was a clock. We're not sure if it was voltage we don't really know but we did have to replace every time it happened we would have to replace four of these dims because you can't isolate which one was the root cause so the problem is you're replacing four dims and it's it's not a good story there (laughs) Um, but luckily we didn't have a huge number but it was significant enough to say we need to do something about this in the future right i would imagine that you know the, the if you even had a window into a possible failure coming up as clock speeds increase that window just gets shorter too. Right. <laughs> and then the other thing that compounds it is as you want more capacity on your system, right. any problem that is in there could potentially get larger if you don't have a mitigating uh, design. Right. And you're losing capacity and performance anytime something happens like that that you have to shut them off. Right. But mainly there you're losing availability right. because these were cases where your customer had data on these DIMMs. And the hard part is how do you make sure that you protect that customer data that's running on these these dims, you know. So that's why we needed something. We couldn't just say, "Well, we'll do the same thing as the rest of the industry does." Yeah. So what what does the rest of the industry usually do in this? Well, a lot of them, obviously, generation to generation, they do a lot more. They're doing burn in like what we're doing across the board, and there's reliability rates, but they do go down. I think there's two different schools of thought. I think if you're like an x86, what you typically do is you have the machines running. And you have a periodic maintenance schedule. I think you know people like Google and some of those do that once. On, and they'll go around. I hear there's college kids with golf carts. They go around and replace dims all the time. It's a good but, summer job. Yeah, it's a good <laughs> summer job. But they have to keep taking their system down, put it, put dims in, put it back up. But then they try to do more at the system level, right? A multi-system, kind of like what we do with Sysplex. They try to do that concept, but it's not foolproof. And if you have software running, you have to vacate, you got a lot of capacity that you're not really leveraging because you're always taking machines down. So it does, it's a 
painful thing, but and very it's a throwaway intensive. society. You might yeah. as well throw away your damn side. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and it's very human intensive too, right? Because somebody yeah. has to have to actually do that. Right. And and a lot of uh, mainframe shops, I would say, are not human intensive these days. Um, I also think that they, you give up some capacity because one of the things we've done for this is we've had a three terabyte system back on Z196 or ZC12, and then we went on Z13, we went to 10 terabytes, and now we're going to 32 terabytes for Z14. We've pretty much tripled two generations in a row. Yeah. It's quite substantial. <laughs> and as you go and do that, the in order to get that capacity, we went to what's called a smart buffer chip. It's our Centaur chip. It's pretty much the backbone of these DIMMs. And it has a lot of bandwidth on it, and it also has a lot of capacity. You can, we can make a DIMM that's 512 gigabytes. I don't, <laughs> it's, it's just very big. That's, <laughs> that's just one that's a lot. DIMM at a time, yeah. And so because of that, and we get the packing density that we get in a volumetric space is beyond what anybody else can do because we can put these DIMMs right next to each other. Uh, As opposed to some will take a – they might have a buffer chip, but then they'll put them on riser cards and add packaging and cost. We pretty much do it in a very streamlined way. So how much goes into a, a, a book then how is it divided up between the books? Yeah, well, within a book, and we now call them drawers. Oh, because, sorry, sorry, Well, drawers. no, I know Brenton <laughs> mentioned books, and that's true because they were stored almost like a book on a bookshelf. They yeah. were vertical. And then now we rotated them, and we said, well, nobody stores books. Well, I see you have a couple here. <laughs> but they're, they're people, horizontal. Real, real people. <laughs> yeah. But if you have to get to the bottom ones, yeah. So now we call them drawers. It also allows some people maybe get some good IP innovation. No. <laughs> <laughs> we need a way to double our patents. Yeah, yeah, rotate right. everything from 90 <laughs> degrees. Yeah. And we'll call them drawers. <laughs> right, yeah. And don't lose them. Um, so within a drawer, we have an eight terabytes that we can fit in the drawer. Okay. And that's made up of three of the – well, three times five. So there's 15 of the 512 gigabyte DIMMs, and we have 10 of the 256 gigabyte DIMMs. Uh -huh. And we try to – we could put more in, but we want to also keep the cooling – we want to manage the cooling and the total power within a drawer. We have a limitation there. So part of the capacity that we could do, we also try to trade off with how much memory do you really need compared to how much power does the core want to improve there. Obviously, the core has to outperform where it did before. Right. And we have all new workloads running, so we want to make sure those perform well. So it's a big trade off overall. Uh, before we started recording, you had some really interesting descriptions of how you're using the chips in a fundamentally different way. I was wondering if you could kind of talk about that again because it sounded like it had a lot to do with how much power you pull and and how how you're managing. Right, yeah. So like I said, we, we do put a, a fifth DIM in there that allows for the redundancy. But instead of having it be strict parity, we actually take some of the chip information that we would normally store on one DIM and we spread it across the five. So it's kind of like don't put all your eggs in one basket, yep. right? So instead of just putting your parity off to the side, by interchanging it, it gets us a more robust code that actually allows us to, for if any one of those dims, let's say, caught on fire or whatever. <laughs> melted? Hopefully not melted. <laughs> yeah. We don't do things like that. Only, we only do that in the lab. It, it let out the magic smoke. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but when that happens, the machine just keeps running and that, we flag it as that particular DIM. And it's interesting because when I compare this problem of seeing an error and needing to replace a part in the next month or so 
versus the problem we had before where the machine just goes down. Yeah, you said yeah. what you called it sudden. Yeah, it's a UIRA failure. A lot, a lot like yeah. my career. Yeah, UIRA it means unscheduled, basically unscheduled <laughs> incident repair action, and so that U unscheduled is not a good. Thing. That's the <laughs> nicest way I've ever heard of describing a yeah. terrible <laughs> problem. <laughs> yeah, it sounds so much better it's when you just say unscheduled. Yeah, <laughs> we have a lot of euphemisms in the industry, don't we? <laughs> So, oh, right after you said it will catch on fire. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Well, it kind of reminds me of when my wife was having her first child and uh, Megan. It was kind of a fun experience um, for me, but obviously she's going through labor. And we had said beforehand, you know how you're first, you always do the cloth diapers and you always do the uh-huh. – mm-hmm. okay. So for us, we said we really don't want to have an epidural or any type of drugs if we can help it and so on. But it was 12 hours into labor and I was watching her suffer and it was really difficult. So – we finally said, let's do the epidural. And so prior to that, every time she had pain, she's, first of all, she's, she'd squeeze my hand. Yes. And I made the mistake of giving her my left hand, which has my ring on it. Ooh. Never do that. <laughs> Tip of the day. And important Never, advice there. Yeah. But the other thing is everything was about the intense pain, and that's kind of how it was with this unscheduled incident repair action. It just – the machine would go down. and. It wasn't regular. It wasn't lots of machines, but it was higher. Any even one is higher than what we want to see. Yeah. And to have it be an unknown reason and replacing four dims, that's also bad. So, so for this, what's nice is once she had the epidural, now she felt a little bit better. <laughs> and she was, it was interesting because she'd be the one looking at the monitor and say, "Hey, look, I'm having another contraction. Look at that. It's going up." <laughs> so I don't mean to belittle our customers or clients, but when when errors ha- when things happen on on parts to be able to look at it and say, oh, look, you know, we have something happening. I wonder what it is. Let's investigate it. And while, meanwhile, the customer is running fine. There's no issue with the design because we've built the redundancy right. in. So so they're not having pain. No. Right. But you can see that. Yeah, you can we, see that spike. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so we have the sympathy pain knowing, okay, <laughs> let's replace that part. And then they get their knock on the door. Oh, here's the dim on your system. And they go, well, What's it? You know, what's wrong with my system? Yeah. <laughs> so we do replace it. Yeah, and you tell them, yeah, five years ago your system would have been down. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. See how much better we are now. Right. Yeah. And we do have graphs. We just can't really show a lot of that. But right. for internal people, if you're interested, these are it's pretty impressive <laughs> watching it go down to zero rate. Um, so yeah. um, one of the things that uh, is still not completely clear to me is. We, we're adding all this extra stuff, right? You're, you're talking about all these extra dims. Yeah, it seems like the the power footprint for the box goes down. How how, how do you do that? Well, one of the uh, innovations we had recently, obviously, the industry as a whole, there's a we went from what's called DDR3 memory to the next generation, which is DDR4. And DDR4 dropped the voltage from 1.35 down to 1.2 volts. Okay. So the lower power certainly helps us. And we also leverage with our suppliers to make sure that the there's different flavors of DRAM that we have. And we have server grade, which gives us the reliability. But we also have the Centaur buffer chip. And what we can do is we, within which is right now manufactured by Global Foundries for IBM. And what we do is for the larger DIMMs that, have, that eat up more DRAM power, we're able to get a chip that's sorted – for a lower power value. So we can pretty much match the, if we have a higher dim because of the capacity, we use the lower power Centaur, while in the lower dims, we don't need to use the lower power Centaur. 
and so we can balance and um, get good yield out of it. Huh. As well. What was that word you used? Cent- centaur. That's the like half man, half horse. That <laughs> yeah, there it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's a whole story behind that. Too. I'm sure there is. <laughs> <laughs> Although somebody wanted to call it pentar on the next generation because it's Gen Five. Oh, uh, ah, see, there's sort of but there's some engineer just, humor right oh, there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so how how similar is the? Um, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the whole rain thing, but how similar is like the the failure characteristic of memory? Uh, in in the RAIN model, similar to the way that like RAID disks fail. Well, it's very similar in some ways in that we have within a DIM we have nine different DRAM chips that we're fetching from at once, uh-huh. and there's a lot more than nine. We pretty much have about 140 or so of these little chips on one of our DIMs. And most people, when they look at a DIM, they'll see eight or maybe nine, and we have 140, and they're stacked and everything else. So they're Like I said, there are quite a bit of volume on there of parts. But we grab nine chips at a time of data. And so those nine chips across the five channels really gives us 45 different chips. And what's interesting is any nine that are on the same DIM, if all nine of those gave bad data, for some reason, the other out out of nine that gives 36 remaining chips have enough information on them to be redundant to the whatever nine fails. Or if a single one fails, we also know that that's bad. And we used to do something called sparing, which means you've been using one chip, storing and fetching from a chip, and if it goes bad and you detect it and you're correcting it, then they'd say, well, let's pick another chip and we'll copy everything from that chip over to the other one and so on. We actually use a scheme called marking, which means we always store it to all the 45 DRAMs. But when we fetch it, we can play tricks on how we fetch and use the data to ignore it. Wow. Right. And in some ways, it's kind of like you get – if let's say there's a policeman. It comes onto the scene of the crime, right? And if you have a case where some of the dims say one thing and some of the dims say another, you don't know who to believe, right? In general, that's, that's what regular ECC does. And you try to figure out what's the probability of being right or wrong. But let's say the police came to a scene, and and mathematically it's analogous to, okay, two people said they saw that guy do it, Mm -hmm. and two other people say, no, he didn't do it, it was somebody somebody else. So now it's 50-50 chance, and now what do you do? If your odds are exactly even, what do you do? Well, this marking is kind of like saying having somebody pull him aside and say, you know that guy over there? Don't trust a word he says. <laughs> so we kind of have this mark that says don't trust this chip or don't trust this dim. And so between that, once you know not to trust that, then mathematically you're definitely – It lowers have, the weight. Yeah. Now it's three to it's three to one – or I'm sorry, two to one and you can say, oh, OK. So it sounds like the if, if the chips are in there – and this is – I'm just making this up. If the chips are in there horizontally – I can make some things you, up too. You logically <laughs> address them vertically. Right. So the, the the actual dims are what you're addressing, and those are spread out, even though the physical dims, the physical chips are going right. the other way. Right. Yeah. So the addressing is across not just one dim, yeah. which is could be a single point of fail in the industry, to five dims. So if any one of the five failed, the other four can continue to run. And by the way, we're not done. We have innovations coming in uh, for <laughs> for lowering overhead, lowering power. A whole bunch of things that I'm excited about, but I can't tell you about any of them. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to have them come back. Yep. Yeah. 
Can um, can you explain uh, in a little bit more detail um, how you differ, right? So mainframe memory differs um, from, say, Intel. Okay. Sure. Well, I mentioned RAM. So RAM is what we view as that's the thing that keeps us up and running. But on top of that, we also don't want to go and show up at the customer and say we have to take one of these drawers out. Even though we can concurrently take the drawer out, uh, repopulate a new DIM and put it back in, as Brenton was talking about with the millicode, right, with all that. But in addition to that, we don't want to have to do that. Yeah, it's a bad idea to drop your drawers in front of the customer. Oh, oh. I didn't see that one coming. (laughs) (laughs) And for people, I heard on one of your episodes, you you didn't even wear pants, so I'm glad you you – that wouldn't be good. All right. Did we get off topic? (laughs) Just a little bit. Frank dropped his drawers and then, you know, everything went out the window. Uh, Caught me off guard. But anyway, in addition to doing that, we want to make sure that if a DRAM does fail, that we can mark it in place and keep moving on. So the 45 DRAMs that we have on there are enough for the extra capacity to say, even if a DRAM goes down or actually two within a group out of the 45 can, can go down, we can say, well, that's a single chip. We've isolated it. We guard it off with this marking, and we move on. And that way we don't have to touch the machine, which means it touches, meaning replace a part. Right. And that keeps the customer availability up. There's other times when we have a, an interface, let's say a pin or a wire going from our processor out to the Centaur chip. We have a high-speed interface. Um, actually, we have a high-speed Surtees interface. Doesn't that sound more impressive? Yeah. What's Surtees? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Serial design, but it sounds more impressive. But if one of those differential wires fails, and then usually it would be a data integrity issue or you're yeah. sending the wrong information or you have to check stop on a parity error, what we do there is we have what's called CRC across that. And it's cheaper on the interface to use CRC as opposed to we used to have ECC protection with a very wide interface so we could correct a bit at a time. The problem is it's expensive, ECC. So going down to parity, which is what the industry uses as well. I'm sorry, going down to CRC, which is a form of parity. Um, that stands for cyclic redundancy oh, code check. or check. And so on that, we accumulate the CRC errors. And as we go through recovery and retry, we also can figure out which bit it was. Huh. So we don't necessarily correct it, but we can then say, let's take that lane. It's, we call it a lane offline, and we have a spare. We have spare wires there. So on our memory interface, we have two spare wires or two spare um, what we call lanes. A lane is a differential. So we have two of those upstream, which is going up to the host or the processor, and then two going down to the memory. And so when that happens, we fail in place. The, it automatically, the hardware is a, entirely hardware, will fail over or spare that lane, and now you keep running, and we don't have to replace the DIM because the wire Wow. So even if it was misplugged and it was you know intermittent, we pretty much take that offline. So it could be a bad wire here and there. Again, we can have up to two for every DIM in each direction. And then on top of that, we can have a couple of DRAMs per per DIM. Actually, we have multiple ranks, so you know we can have many many DRAMs that go down before we even have to call home, right? And then meanwhile, if we have soft errors. Um, sometimes you get cosmic particles, and if you'll have some things that flip. We have scrubbing that goes out there and repairs it and, double, and 
fixes the data on the fly. And you're, you're literally talking about cosmic particles. Yes, we are. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> cosmic, man, yeah. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what goes on in that building over there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> particles. <laughs> you start to worry. It's like a black yeah. light and stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, I see all your fun tools. I see minions and fart guns and, uh, you know, <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's drones. revealing all of our we secrets. You have to have something over in the development area. <laughs> There's a lava lamp over there, yeah. too. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, but it, that's as far as it goes. We don't do anything else. Nothing else. Okay, no. no. Uh, wait. <laughs> I'm going to make take a little note here. <laughs> After. Okay. Now, another thing we have is uh, timing-driven reflectometry. If you want to turn that wow. Wow. <laughs> It's built into. I had the, one of those too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, some my aspirin. doctor says I need some medication for it. But that basically is saying once if we have, a, this is on interfaces. Um, if we have an interface that we find a bad lane, then after we take the lane offline, we then send a pulse down the lane and wait for the reflection. And the hardware does its own monitoring of wh- how long that reflection took. And depending on how long it took, we can say, well, we think it's the, it looks more like the DIM or it looks more like the module, the processor. So if you ever do have to replace parts, you kind of isolate what parts need to re- replace. Wow. It's like stuff. throwing a rock down a well to see how deep it is. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but or a younger brother. It, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have a younger brother. So that's, I can say Anymore. that. <laughs> uh, okay. So um, – let me understand this is this. a true crime podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, th- by the way, I think HR is going to have a visit yeah, all three of us independently. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, they're the next dial over, and so it's kind of oh, hard to avoid yep. them. Yeah, they moved them in after we moved in. I, I, I think there's a reason for that. There's. It seems like every five minutes, one of them walks by here, just peeks in, too. and and they do seem to <laughs> look in with that. a certain amount of disdain. Yeah, and that check mark they, they make yeah. on their app <laughs> and the clipboard. Does yeah, it? or the yeah. <laughs> it's not good, not good. So so you you've talked a little bit about, um, hey, we 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 recognize when things are going uh, awry. And um, now, do you take that information and then just provide it to to the middle code, and then and that's where the call home stuff is, or how how do you get the data um, back up? Is it through okay. that? Well, there's two mechanisms, or two. One is that the Millicode code does constantly run in the background, and it monitors all the errors on the chips. And there's a higher hierarchical structure called error reporting. So it starts with at the hardware level, there's detection. It goes through a series of hierarchies to get up to the top level of each chip. And then Millicode, once every five seconds, goes out and checks a chip and see if there's anything to look at. And if not, it moves on to the next chip. So we call that error polling. And I'm being, like I said, I came from the reliability side. I never gave up that job. <laughs> so I'm still heavily involved in that. In fact, that's, I was coding some stuff up in my office. But what we do there is it monitors and determines whether we're hitting any – whether the hardware did it had a RAM degrader, whether it has a DRAM mark or whatever else. And so those are all things that get monitored. And for every time that happens, there's a record put out to a file, and the file gets sent home as information only because if it doesn't need to call home for replacement, we still get monitoring – we're still monitoring the hardware. So there's self-monitoring by the hardware – for the hardware, and then there's <laughs> monitoring back here where we can look at field anomalies and see if there's anything uh, to worry about there. And the other thing we do is we monitor temperature, 
we monitor voltage, humidity, bandwidth now. We've added uh, memory bandwidth on this generation, as well as whether we're getting correctable errors or these marks. So we can now start looking at if we have correctable errors, we can see is it because of temperature? Is it because of voltage? Is it something independent? Maybe it's altitude. These cosmic, there's cosmic, cosmic particles. Yeah. On top. We had to get back to that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, is, that's my band name. Right. But the other thing we can do. Particles. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I gotta, Frank, we're starting a band I right can, now. <laughs> oh, yeah, quick. That's, that's, oh, can, uh, can I, I ask you a question ready. about that? Um, sure. Why would the bandwidth vary? Well, we, bandwidth is a function of what the processor wants to do. And we on Z, that's another thing that distinguishes us quite a bit is we have the largest cache out there. And the cache is very low latency. So when, when the processor goes out and grabs data from memory, the first levels of memory it hits are L2, L3, and L4 levels of cache, and it's, which has quite a bit of capacity to keep the processor running. And it, as far as the power goes, it's, it uses a bit more power, but what's nice is by using more cache power, we can use less DRAM power. Wow. So our DRAMs in, on Z are more idle than the ones typically on, on Intel um, x86 and also even on power. Um, so the overall power of the memory subsystem is lower. But also there are times when you miss the cache and someone's bringing in a new workload and you get bursty activity and there's a whole bunch of stores and fetches, which does drive bandwidth out to the processor or out to the memory, I mean, from okay. the processor. So, so I just want to um, make sure I understand what you just said a little bit better. Um, the fact that I have all of this memory-focused cache, does that result in fewer cache, mi cache misses? Yeah, the with the larger cache in the fact – and it depends on the workloads, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of them, it, it's significantly larger to, and it's being – it's very effective as far as – the other thing that happens on Z is there's a lot of sharing going on. So it's a shared L3 and shared L4 cache. So if you have five processors on the same chip that need to use the same data, you only have one copy of it. And then they have their own very local copies. But as far as the primary piece from a RAS point of view that says, here's my golden copy, there's only one copy needed. So having it in a shared L3 is a lot cheaper than taking the L3 and dividing it. Oh, okay. Even sports. though the cache space is more expensive because you can split it five ways. Right. You don't have to have five times more cache for those five processors. So right. the cache that is there gets used in a much more efficient way. And this is this is a really important point because this is what makes uh, Z better at doing mixed workloads because I'm not guaranteed that I'm going to come back to the same processor to do to do this work, right? And as – we do more and more cloud-like work where you you expect, even in smaller models, to have uh, more mixed workloads. This this caching model becomes extremely important. So then in the back to the memory piece, so as the bandwidth goes up, the times when you do go out to memory and the bandwidth goes up, then obviously that can cause the temperature to go up a little bit. And so – we can get study. We can do studies as well to say: Is there any correlation between temperature and correctable errors, or is there a correlation between temperature and bandwidth itself? And then we have a, a whole smarter data thing going on. Uh, with, have you had anybody in about that? Not yet. That would be good to get a couple people there. One of the things that we can do there is because it's there's so much data, 
we can do analytics on that and say, show me any time when the temperature of the dim is high. But then people are going to say, well, bandwidth was high too, so that's not, you know. It's, currently that's what we're looking at is the temperature of the dims, but it's like why is the temperature high? And what you can do is you can say I want high temperature, and you can literally do this. You say I want temperature equals high minus, you know, almost like a mathematical expression, minus bandwidth effects. It's like I want a quarter pounder with extra yeah, cheese, right. no onions. <laughs> yeah. So I'll be fatty, special sauce, cheese, pickles, onions, and sesame seed bun. <laughs> you remember? No, you were too young. Right? Yeah, I yeah. remember. I, okay. I knew it because I worked at McDonald's for two years. Oh, <laughs> okay, and admitted it too. Yeah. <laughs> so the thing there is, as we, where were we talking about? <laughs> uh, I'm getting hungry. <laughs> uh, uh, the smart reports. Right. Yes. Okay, so you can say subtract out the effects of bandwidth. And you might still see an anomaly and say, oh, the temperature is high. But now you can also say, well, subtract out, let's say a blower fails, right? Hmm. We have redundant blowers out there in the field. You can say minus blowers. And what's left is a report that says, here's something where a DRAM or a DIM might be having trouble in the future for some unknown reason. And now we can know what to investigate. Right? And, and because you collect that data in the background from a number of machines, you can Look across the right. yeah. Look so it's not others. just somebody at one site who opened up a door or a window. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, there's always a case where someone's trying to impress somebody, and it's winter time, and they t- open up the, the covers <laughs> to impress their girlfriend or something. And, and then, they, but they were in a sweater, and they, you know. <laughs> uh, there's an article uh, on on the register about uh, somebody trying to debug a server that was overheating, and uh, they they couldn't reproduce the problem. You know, they they said, but it was pretty much the same time every day. This happened at least once a day. And they found out it was somebody, uh, a cleaning staff member, who would go out on the floor, and he found the, like this really cool thing where he could make his clipboard stick to this machine with the suction from the air. And it was done. He could <laughs> oh, pull it right back <laughs> off. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, we actually have something called the bag test. And I always thought, because they also had something called bag ops, which had to do with, I thought it was an acronym for something. So they go and they run the bag test or whatever, and I thought, you know, it's some I don't know what it stands for, right? Right. Yeah. You know, and what I found out later is no, gateway. no, they suffocate <laughs> your machine. They take a huge plastic bag and they put it over the whole machine and let it run, and they see you know what happens. <laughs> but they do that with earthquake testing and everything else too. It's amazing. But so if a blower fails, the temperature goes up, and now we know we can cor- cross correlate events and see which ones are related to things we know about and which ones are not. Is is there anything special that you can talk about with the way that we uh, we deal with cooling on the chips? Because it seems like you know they're getting denser and more stuff's going on in there. And is it just a matter of finding smart ways of shoving more air through there? Well, there's smart ways of yes, that's a lot of it. The we have a sensor. Sorry, sorry to oversimplify yeah. it. No, <laughs> no. And, yeah. and not make it sound technical. That's right. the bad part. How do you keep our ones and zeros safe? Right. <laughs> Well, there is a lot of design effort that goes into these dims. These are custom dims that we use instead of the industry standard. And the reason we make them, we do them custom is, for instance, we can we have the Centaur chip, which does all this. It's a workhorse within the dim to give us the high capacity. Oh, ha- half a workhorse. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Why do you say that? Centaur. Because oh. the other half is Oh. The horrible thing is I followed it though, from the <laughs> oh, beginning. Oh, okay. But two out That's of three good. of us got it, so yeah. we'll, we'll correct you. Go That's on. Good. <laughs> you know, you've been in. 
Uh, well, this is the longest 20 minutes yeah, ever. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, unbridled passion aside, um, when we look at the, the, the way um, that, that can heat up, so we put special heat sinks on there. Uh-huh. We also look at how the airflow goes. If we have a water-cooled machine, our processors don't really have a huge heat sink. We have water-cooled, so it doesn't really affect the dims. But we also have a, a lower-end system, um, our, uh, our mid-range system. And on the mid-range, we have to look at how do we keep the dims cool because if the processor is, has a big heat sink and has air cooled, right, and that air is blowing on the dims, that can heat them up. Yeah. So we're looking at opportunities there on our next mid-range as well. What, how can we change all that stuff or how can we make it more efficient, uh, helping the reliability and also helping the performance of both the processor and the You ever think about putting like a spoiler and a racing stripe on it to make <laughs> it faster? there, I mean, and I think we put that'll them make on it a, cooler. I think a couple of our frames had them on there. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. God. It'd be, and it'd be embedded way in the middle of the system somewhere. Yeah. Um, although I'd be careful. If don't, don't put any names on there. Uh, back when I first started IBM, somebody – for kicks said, hey, I'm going to take my name and I'm going to write in the metallization layer. I'm going to put sign my name way down. <laughs> and it was fine until during manufacturing they had this pretty bad defect. Uh-huh. And they started identifying and they do failure analysis and they get down there and they find this ground rule breakage around these metallization layers. Oh, no. And the person signed his name. Oh, no. <laughs> I wonder Not who good. did this. Not good. Yeah. So, yeah. Watch out about smoking guns. <laughs> Well, or you could do what I do. I just sign Jeff's name to everything. It's a lot easier. We, we've been spending a lot of time talking primarily about availability. Uh, we And you, you mentioned a little bit about um, how you do uh, bigger caching for, for speed. What else do we do to make sure these things really, really hum along? Well, there's a lot of microarchitecture changes that we do with how wide buses are or making sure we trade off, uh, for instance, in the processor, we have a lot of branch prediction depending on the workloads. And you probably, it'd probably be good to have somebody come in and talk about that. Uh, to determine, okay, we know what's going on now in the machine. What is going to be needed next? And a lot of that gets into prefetching, let's say, from memory or from cache. But if you go overboard and you say, let me prefetch everything, you're now going to drive the power of the cache up and you're going to drive the power of the memory up. And then if you throw away 90% of that data that you just fetched, that's 90% wasted power. But if you don't do that, you're not going to get your performance. So we have to really find these smart ways and we continue to innovate smart ways of end-to-end figuring out what's worthwhile going after and what's not. And it's hard because sometimes the core may not know. It knows what it needs, but it doesn't always have the bigger picture. So we're doing some innovations there over time as well. Wow. So I get kind of pulled into core, NAST, cache, RAS. I mean, <laughs> milli code discussions. It seems yeah. like you're having fun, though. Yeah, I do. I lots well, of fun. I don't know. He has to work with Brenton. You know. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> you, you mentioned what, – what's NAST? You mentioned NAST. Yeah, NAST is well, – Pretty much the everything else. It's the glue that holds everything else together. It's the single most important thing. In Is the that what happened to the other half of that horse? Can you tell? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> when it comes to jokes, did you just lay an egg? <laughs> just <laughs> just slide them in oh, there. Okay. <laughs> Wise crack. Uh, no, uh, this is not good. Not no, good. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it pretty much is what 
between the processors, the I.O., and the memory, it's pretty much everything else, that connectivity, and that ties everything together. But it really depends on where you work because I started out in the Nest and I'm still considering myself a Nest person. So that's the center of the universe. But right. obviously anywhere else you work <laughs> is the center of the universe. Yeah. Except for the stuff I do. That's the center of the universe. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So we're running we're, – we're coming up on the end of the time. Could, can you go through uh, where you think things are going? Yeah. I think one of the things that if we look at a history of memory on the Z – in particular, you'll see that over time we had that RAS reliability thing. And that wasn't just Z. Obviously, Z outperformed the industry during those periods of time. So if you thought going down once in a while is bad for Z, you look, other machines were going down a lot more. But for us, that wasn't good enough. We really needed the high availability. So as we went, that now we've added some power, some extra dims in order to get the, this RAM in place. And we've had that in place for several generations, and we've been making lots of improvements, and I mentioned several of them here with the RAS side. We're also going after higher bandwidth over time. But the next steps will be to try to reduce that cost. There's overhead. We talked about the 25%. Right. And so we have some innovations we're working on now to get that overhead down. And at some point, when, because the other thing is the industry overhead is going up at some point in future. And we're thinking DDR5 is probably when that's going to happen. Yeah, what do you mean industry overhead? Well, industry, like right now, they have eight DIMMs, or I'm sorry, eight DRAMs, and okay. they have a ninth one. There was a time when they only had eight and they didn't have checking. You know, <laughs> oh, okay. Obviously, you have to add the ninth one to get ECC checking. Um, but DDR5 is going in a direction that looks like you might have 10 chips instead of nine. Okay. What, what that industry looks like it's going into. And so our challenge is to say, well, okay, let's see if we can have reduce our overhead while they're, while the industry is increasing, and see where we end up. So, um, in an imaginary world where you're given uh, control over what happens <laughs> on the platform, oh, wow. uh, uh, what would you like to see that you haven't had the chance to to see? Well, I'd like to see that our uh, overall cost of cost of doing business is uh, goes down for our clients and leveraging some of the new industries or new uh, technologies that are coming forward for higher densities uh, so that memory is not a prohibitor but is an enabler for high-performance computing. And I also want to make sure that as I look forward that we're not looking at – we don't take any steps backwards in reliability or availability, but that we start leveraging all those other features that we have on the Z system, um, but continue to do that. But So I would say the newer technologies, the higher dense memory, and uh, the higher bandwidths would all be ones to go after without hurting latency. Well, what's, what's great about everything you've described is it, it sounds like a lot of the methodologies and, and disciplines that you've described would be applicable to uh, whatever type of physical asset you're working with. Right, yep. Yeah, there are, it's like I was saying before, that the skills that we have, that we develop here, are very transferable as far as being able to apply them. For instance, if people apply it in disk, we apply things like RAM techniques to memory. Uh, we also have interface, a lot of uh, reliability, but also um, there are skills that kind of help drive new industries. Awesome. Well, we'll look forward to those. Thanks, Pat, for coming in and talking to us about this. This has been, for me at least, um, eye-opening because, you know, it's hardware and 
Most people don't care about it. What do you, what do you say about hardware, Frank? <laughs> hardware and software? I say hardware eventually fails, software eventually works. That's a good stake. That's a good closing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was awesome. Fantastic. I really uh, would like to have him come back maybe and do some more su- stuff with us on a little bit more uh, wider scale. Yeah, maybe talk about the um, the Z14 stuff specifically. Yeah, I guess we have to wait a while till people actually use it before we can, <laughs> we can talk about it. So if you enjoyed the episode, or uh, even if you didn't, you know, hey, haters welcome, at Terminal Talk on Twitter, contact at TerminalTalk.net for email. And we're always watching the mainframe subreddit slash r slash mainframe. Old Man Charlie, take us away. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at TerminalTalk.net. That's contact at TerminalTalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence, signing off.